new Hyundai Tucson. Seems okay, but these Dr. Evil chairs, they're friggin' awesome. Mate, can you have one of these wrapped and sent over to the fat cave? Oh, sorry to hear that. Details next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Hit me up on the website. Bye-bye. heavy commercial burden attaches to Tucson. It's Hyundai's top-selling model, totaling 7 million units in traffic so far. That's since 2004. 7 million! So if you park them all nose to tail, they would, in fact, encircle the Earth. That's a lot of Tucsons, roughly one for every resident of Arizona. And this one is the fourth generation. It's a bit bigger, but frankly, a lot more polished. Just don't be breath-holding on this. Like, not yet. Today is just a prick tease of sorts. We won't get this new Tucson in Shitsville until late in the first half of 2021. You know when you see some brand new models and you go, eh, why did they bother? Well, this is definitely not that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Everything that I can tell about this car without going out there in the traffic right now and having a drive, and if I tried that because it's a pre-production model, they would send a friggin' death squad after me, so let's not be doing that. But everything I can tell about this car without driving it tells me it is a massive leap forward. Of course, the principal design challenge with all new models is instantly to make the outgoing one look just a little bit shit, because nothing motivates an otherwise happy owner to upgrade more than an injection of new hotness on the showroom floor. Just gotta have it, mate. And in this respect, I think they've knocked it out of the park. It's definitely a head-turner, and it makes the outgoing one look instantly obsolete powertrains have kind of evolved, okay? So it's not all new, but there is a step forward. These are the new smart stream engines. This one's a two litre diesel. There's also a two litre petrol and 1.6 turbo petrol and hybrid, plus plug-in hybrid. But I don't think any decisions been made yet for Australia with the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid. In the cabin, you'll see the automatics are now push-button auto, and that's gonna take some getting used to, as well as there's, you know, the usual selectable drive modes like comfort and sport and smart and eco and that sort of thing. And some markets are gonna get terrain selection as well for things like snow and mud and sand, if that's the sort of thing that lights your wick at the weekends. Apparently there's that new CVVD technology as well, the continuously variable valve duration thingo, which is quite clever because it improves combustion efficiency across a range of operating conditions and punts fuel economy to the next level without compromising refinement or power delivery. So that's quite a neat thermodynamics hack. That is proper 
engineering porn right there. Degree of difficulty, 9.8. Getting sharp creases to converge on three different lines like that without ruining the panel. I mean, die making is such a black art because when you press the two dies together and the door skin sort of flops out, it relaxes elastically. So the die has to be a different shape than the panel and I flat out don't know how they do that precisely, but hashtag respect. Unfortunately though, the spin doctors have to get involved, don't they? And they've gone and called the look parametric dynamics. Parametric dynamics. Dynamics relating to a factor or factors comprising a friggin' system. Can it not just look independently good and thereby sell itself. This would be a very brave thing for any car maker to do. Like imagine being so confident in the product that made up words that only just fail the intellectual scrutiny test were no longer required by way of rhetorical support. Of course, if you're thinking about becoming a motoring journalist, I must warn you that you will have to read things of this nature rather a lot. It's an occupational mental health hazard. Side effects include nausea and vomiting. And from the department of really quite clever, these daytime running lights hidden in plain sight. How about that? I also like this de-emphasized badge up the front here. You know, less really is more when it comes to shouting it all out loud for this new Tucson. And the indicators, absolutely clever as well. I don't know if you can see, but they've got a beam built into them that sort of buddy spikes anyone over there who's potentially going to turn across your path, thereby making it much harder for you and them to become coincident in space-time. Because <laughs> that never ends well, does it? Speaking of spatio-temporal coincidence and the mitigation thereof in traffic, you can expect the full safety suite with this new Tucson, which is to say, top shelf crashworthiness, including probably that new headbutt preventing center airbag between the seats at the front, plus, sadly, all of the borderline annoying, false positive overdosed crash prevention stuff, which is there principally, insofar as I can tell, to hump and cap's leg so enthusiastically in pursuit of the vaunted five stars. All the car makers are doing this lately, not just Hyundai, an unfortunate and annoying sign of the times. The interior, also excellent. And in the back, ladies and gentlemen, the wheel, fantastic. The instrument cluster, yes, full-size spare too. Hashtag Australia. I particularly liked this quote from the press kit. Center fascia descends to the console like a waterfall. Like a friggin' waterfall. Exactly what I was thinking. The interior has a new cleverly made up name also, about which I'm sure there were several meetings. You're looking at interspace. You know, inter from the Latin meaning reciprocally, and space meaning Neil Armstrong and Captain James T. Kirk. All the right stuff, heroes. That's coming up, incidentally, from you, space, the final frontier. A bit of Q&A from you in a few minutes' time. Six questions and comments from you out there in the audience in interspace. 
Speaking of which, interspace. I almost like that term. It almost means something. This is like the reverse of Gestalt theory. I'm just saying the whole of this car is actually greater than the sum of its friggin' buzzwords. So we could just let the product speak for itself. Delightful waterfall similes aside, the interior is rather gorgeous. The exterior, it's edgy. Not everyone is gonna be infatuated with the sharp angles. If I were in charge and the world were, of course, perfect, this new SUV would simply be a powerfully self-justifying, elegant and understated combination of premium materials and well-thought-out ergonomics packed with features, without any entirely made-up nonsense rhetoric. Because if you're a car maker, you don't also have to be a word maker. But then I guess I'd have to deal with an annoying pandemic of spin doctor unemployment. The awful plight of displaced refugee spin doctors. Terrible stuff. Show me the other car maker. Ballsy enough to put a big fat bowl of lemons in the showroom. I kind of like that. So when Tucson lobs in, I don't know, five or six months or something, one thing's for sure, okay, it's going to make some SUVs that it competes with, notably CRV, X-Trail, maybe RAV4, maybe CX-5, certainly Sportage. It's going to make them look instantly old. And because this is such a hyper-competitive segment, they're going to try so hard to keep the price sharp. So if you've got the money and you can afford to wait, I'd say give it a few months just so you don't miss potentially the next big thing in medium SUVs. And now this from you, whom I love in an entirely wholesome and hetero way. Not that there's anything wrong with that. One thing I never hear a word about is the fact that they are almost silent. Definitely dangerous, as many pedestrians, myself included, are not always properly aware of their surroundings, and hearing oncoming vehicles is pretty necessary, in my humble opinion. I know in the headset world, many of us are virtually deaf anyway, but I still rely on my ears to detect approaching vehicles. There is a worrying strain of humanity that is becoming resistant to the facts. And with all due respect, Bob, what I'd suggest is you're in that category, mate, get yourself tested. Because when a car approaches you, it can be an internal combustion car, it can be an electric car, it doesn't matter. The most noise that it makes on approach, okay, is it pushing the air out of the way and also the roar of the tyres on the road. All of those tread blocks slapping themselves down onto the bitumen. And it's not until the car draws alongside you or goes past, or I guess if it runs over the top of you and kills you, it's not until then that the noise of internal combustion becomes apparent. You don't certainly hear the exhaust until it is past you, mate. So there is that. There is it's a complete urban myth that electric vehicles are sort of silent but deadly to pedestrians. And on the subject of pedestrians, as drivers, I'd suggest that we need to do everything possible to mitigate the risk to vulnerable road users. But if you're a pedestrian, 
and you're older than about six or seven years of age, then you have an absolute responsibility for your own safety as well. And if you are a pedestrian or a mother or a father of a really young pedestrian and you don't do everything you can to mitigate the risk, you are functionally insane. Gonna enjoy your sense of humour and the missus enjoys your humour as always, great video topic, thanks. Dear Mrs Lane, I, I do apologise sincerely and without reservation in respect of your husband's appalling ongoing treatment of you. Nobody deserves to have somebody they love inflict me upon them routinely under the roof of their home, somewhere where they should feel safe. Look, if you need help at this confronting time, call Lifeline now on 13 11 14. That's the number here in Shitsville. 13 11 14. And again, I do so sincerely apologise. Why do you call Australia Shitsville? Dude, look around. I was admiring the moon the other day through the now clear skies and it hit me. Holy shit! There have been men up there. Footage of the Saturn rocket still give me shivers, both for the staggering engineering achievements and the balls to undertake these missions. I invite everyone to look up and think about it next time the skies are clear. Amazing. Ah yes, the moon and Apollo and all of that stuff got very popular in response to my report on Daimler and level three autonomy, which it is proposing to debut in the upcoming S class with regulatory approval. The other thing I'd suggest when it comes to spinal shiver fest is take a look at the rockets, those solid booster rockets that got the space shuttle off the pad. Those things were just flat out awesomely powerful and if you can track it down on YouTube check out some of the test firing of those solid booster rockets out at the Morton Thio coal plant those rockets absolutely outstanding what a pity of course about the o-rings and what happened there with the Challenger and of course the batshit crazy management culture at NASA and Morton Thio coal that allowed that disaster to happen in the mid-1980s. Caution, black side of the moon is always that. That is such a common misconception. There's no such thing as the dark side of the moon. People get this mixed up all the time. So what happens is the moon has essentially the same face tidally locked on Earth continuously. So there is a far side of the moon that we don't see and that was first observed by the astronauts in Apollo 8 in 1968, if memory serves. The moon experiences day and night though equally just about everywhere on the moon, just the same as we do on Earth, only the days and nights are substantially longer. A full day, a full rotation relative to the sun is 27 days, 7 hours, 43 minutes and 12 seconds but do not kindly expect me to do actual research ever again in a vlog such as this, such a dangerous precedent to set. I actually blame Pink Floyd for this common urban myth. World record electricity distance won by the Dutch with the car topped up with solar cells. Australia would be the perfect region for them on any EV, but no, car companies don't really innovate. 
They just copy-paste existent ideas. Yeah, look, this is another one of those fact-resistant strain of humanity questions. It sounds like such a good idea, doesn't it? Like, let's put a solar array on the roof of every EV and then you'll be able to drive around and self-charge in the sun. But I'd suggest we really have to talk about that. So it does sound like a good idea, doesn't it? You know, let's put a big fat solar array on the roof and charge our EV as we drive. And I'd suggest, you know, you've got about a meter between the rails here. And if we're dead lucky, oh, we got just under two meters longitudinally, right? So let's say, let's be generous and say you've got two square meters of real estate here for solar cells. All right, incident sunlight, best case is 1000 watts per square meter. So we could get two kilowatts onto the roof of ambient sunlight, but we can only do that if the sun is directly overhead and you'd have to fudge it and reduce it a little bit for latitude because the further you go away from the equator, the sun goes further away. So the energy density reduces as a consequence of that and also it's not midday continuously. So the sun starts over here and goes over like that. And you've got to do a fudge factor for that. And let's not forget, you're gonna park it occasionally in the shade or if you park it in the sun, the sun's gonna move across the sky and then the trees are gonna shade the car and whatever. And that's all going to reduce the absolute amount of sunlight that your good idea solar array can collect. And then there's the conversion efficiency of solar cells, which is ballpark 20%, all right? So I'd suggest that you would be really lucky to get 100, 150 maybe watts of electrical energy on average for about eight hours out of a big fat solar array on the roof, which in other words is really like 20 minutes on the trickle charger that comes with a Kona EV, right? So 20 minutes and you're gonna add, I don't know, 50 kilos of big heavy solar array. You're gonna have to do all of this R&D to make sure that it's robust. You're gonna have to keep it clean because if it gets dirty, the conversion efficiency is gonna be even worse. And that's gonna be enough to drive maybe five or six kilometers a day on average if you are really lucky. The best solution for charging up EVs is a big fat solar array fixed to the roof of your house or your office. Just leave the roof of your SUV painted or sunroof mate.